Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Take out your Bibles. We're going to John chapter 2. Father, would you open the word? We, uh, we want to live in your word. We believe your word is, is, is from you. It's full of life. It's full of health. It's, it's, it's truth to us. So open our spiritual ears. We want to listen. Open our eyes to see the things of God. And Lord, we would present to you hearts of faith. That that which is truly you, we would believe. We trust you. We will follow you. We will walk in your ways. I pray for the grace, Lord, the, the uh, ability to speak your word faithfully so we hear you and not me. Come, dear one, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to start uh, John chapter 2, remind you a little bit of where we are. John, uh, Jesus is, uh, right now, we're at Cana, but Right through chapter 1, he's, this has been the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been at uh, the south end of the Jordan River being baptized. Uh, he then went into to the, the Judean wilderness for 40 days. You remember this? With, he fasted. No, no water either, I gather, or something like that. It was a miraculous kind of thing. And he was there being tempted of the devil. Uh, at the end of it, apparently the angels uh, ministered to him. They must have given him something to eat. Maybe angel food cake. Um, who knows what angels serve, you know. Uh, anyway, it would have been good. And uh, so anyway, they, they gave him something to eat, and uh, he, he came back to then the, the baptismal site, and as he came there, John looks up and says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He did the same thing the next day when Jesus walked by. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Two of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, were John the apostle and, and Andrew. And when they heard him do it the second time, they said, well, let's follow this guy. And so they began to follow Jesus. And then they brought their brothers and Jesus found Philip and Philip found Nathaniel. And so we have now about five, I think we have six uh, with James. I think we have six disciples. Jesus said uh, on, on what was, I think, the, 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 the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, he said he wanted to go up back to to, to Galilee, probably for this wedding. And, and he, he said, uh, we got to go. And so they walked the 70 miles over the course of three days and got to Nazareth. Nazareth is only about three miles from Cana. The very near villages are both, I think, worker villages, primarily for a, for a capital city that Herod uh, Antipas had built uh, called Sepphoris. Uh, nearby, they all worked there. I think it's where Joseph worked. I think it's where Jesus worked. It's where they found work. Anyway, they, there's a marriage there, and they're going to go to this wedding. And so that's where we pick up. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. See, there's these, this is family, friends. It's near villages. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? Uh, literally, what, what is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. 
And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. We've talked about that section. Now we're going to pick up at verse 6. Now there were six stone water pots set there for Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out now some and take it to the head waiter. Actually, take it to the, the man in charge of the meal. Uh, there's, a, there's a very unique word that's used there, and everybody's trying to figure out what it means. But it's the person in charge of this meal. So they took it to him. And when the person in charge of the meal tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, remember that word signs? This beginning of, the, of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. John recorded this event to build our faith. He wanted us to know about a miracle that Jesus performed, which fulfilled Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. The prophets had said that when Messiah comes, the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And the mountains will drip with sweet wine. The miracle Jesus performed at the wedding in Cana proved he had the power to fulfill these prophecies. Do you follow that? Yeah, it was, that's why it's a sign. When John and the other five disciples who were there at the wedding saw this miracle, they recognized that it was a sign. And it caused them to have even more, pardon me, to believe even more deeply that Jesus was their promised savior. But over the years, at least in our culture, the original message of this passage has been forgotten. And it has served as a proof text for another message. It has been used to show that Jesus approved of drinking alcohol. Not only did Jesus miraculously produce a little wine, he turned 120 gallons of water into fine wine. So, in the minds of some, he was setting this wedding up for some serious partying. <laughs> now, I mean, I'm not making this up. This is how people take it. I, uh, there was a pastor in the area, you know, he, he, he said, Jesus turned water into wine, let's party. And they had kiggers in the foyer. So it becomes a legitimization. It becomes in the minds of people, it's okay to drink. Basically. And if people can't find the book of Genesis without, a, without an index, they, they know this passage. I'm sure. <laughs> He turned water into wine. And, and, and they also know, uh, you know, judge not lest you be judged, you know. So those are the two scriptures people now have deep in their hearts. And, and now, now picture this if you're, if you're going there with it. Because as we watch this story, the, the, it's pretty late in, in the wedding. Weddings could last a week. Um, and often did. And so we're, in, we're, we're so far into the wedding that what the supplies they have have, have uh, been exhausted. It's a large wedding, apparently. I mean, 120 gallons. Uh, you, I'll, I'll mention now, I'll explain to you later, but it's for the washings and all of this kind of thing. But that's a lot of water. So you got a lot of people there. It's a big wedding. You've progressed uh, quite a ways through the wedding. So if, that, if the case is that he's providing simply more alcohol, what, what's happening then is Mary comes to him and says, Honey... They're out of hooch. 
Uh, and they're all, they, they got a good drunk going. And because the guy did say once they're drunk, they can't taste it, right? You know, okay. So they got a good drunk going and they're going to lose their drunk if you don't provide more, 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 more wine. Oh, okay. Well, he doesn't want to do it at first. Then he does it and you get 120 gallons and boy, does the party go on. That's the way it's been taken. And that's what's being looked at here as a justification for that kind of thing. Let's go on. Sadly, an event John hoped would build our faith in Jesus is now being used to justify alcohol consumption. I can't remember hearing this passage quoted for any other reason. This powerful sign of Jesus' Messiahship has lost its voice. However, since the passage is now used this way, let's address the subject. Because Jesus did turn water into wine, a lot of it. As disciples who are living in a culture full of alcoholism, we need to think through the role alcohol, and for that matter, mood-altering drugs in general, play in our lives. But first, let's go back and watch the sign Jesus performs. Six large stone water pots have been placed nearby, each able to hold between 17 and 25 gallons. Jewish tradition required that the feet of all the guests be washed when they arrived, and that everyone's hands be washed before each meal which is why large amounts of water would have been needed to care for what appears to be a sizable wedding and to last through the marriage festivities, which often continued for a week. Now, to this day, this kind of ritual washing is, is done in, in, in Israel and places. Uh, you'll find, I know in the men's room when we go in, there'll be, there'll be these special um, pitchers that are there on the, on, the, on the sink. And what you do is you take the water and you pour it over your hand first and you let it drip off your wrist and uh, because the water, you don't touch that water, you drip the water, and then you pour the, over the, the hand this way and let it drip off the fingers. So it's a, it's a process. There's a, I, I think there's now three washings, and I don't know, understand them all. But that kind of washing of the hand for, for, for ritual cleanliness is what's going on. So you've got, you've got 120 20 gallons of water uh, for people to, to wash their hands and then for their feet to be washed. At some point, when Jesus decided the father wanted him to perform this sign, he spoke to the servants, saying, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. That specifically said. His mother had already alerted the servants to watch for any instruction Jesus might give. The fact that she needed to, to do this may indicate that Jesus did not yet hold any special position of authority in that community. But apparently Mary did. It was necessary for her to say, now if he tells you to do something, do it. They wouldn't necessarily have done it. But Mary's got some, I don't know if she knows the family, I don't know what it is, but Mary says to him, everybody, if he says something, do it. And they would do it because she told him. Once the water level in each pot was replenished, until no more water could be added, Jesus said, now dip out and carry it to the person in charge of the meal. And they carried it to him. When that man tasted the water, which had already become wine, John tells us he was unaware that a miracle had taken place. All he knew was that a servant had asked him to taste a cup of wine. As the person in charge, he must have known that the family's supply of wine was running low, so he probably assumed someone had located additional wine and he was being asked to taste it to decide whether it was good enough to serve the guests. But John tells us the servants did know before they handed the cup to him. The wording he uses indicates that the, water was still, the wine was still water when they dipped it out of, the, of one of the large pots, but that it became wine 
before he tasted it. Now, now picture yourself being one of these servants, you know, and, and you've, got a, you've got the cup of water and you're told, go, go give it to the guy in charge and have him taste it. Okay. You know, I mean, you guys, it took a little doing to do this, you know, kind of, here you go. And somewhere in transit, it moved from water to wine. So that by the time he tasted it, it's excellent wine. Isn't that interesting? The willingness of the servants to participate in this process is amazing. Either Mary's authority was strong enough to press them to do something so illogical, or they may have sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. Water doesn't turn to wine without power, and real power can often be felt. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, when, I mean, if you're transforming this stuff, look, when the power of God is present, everybody can feel it. Believers and unbelievers. In fact, your pet poodle can feel it. it, it it's, this is not psychological. It is not, it is not some kind of you, emotional thing you stir yourself. Everybody goes, whoa. You can feel spiritual power. And it, I, I sense that, I, w- I would assume, there's got to be power, man. You're, turning, you're doing quite the miracle here. And so they may have just felt, whoa, and felt the reverence, felt that something's happening and been willing to take it. But that was a, an act of faith in a sense on their part as well. Uh, when the man in charge of the meal tasted the wine, he was startled, not knowing how it had been produced. He assumed the host family must have kept a supply of their finest wine in reserve, so he called out to the bridegroom using a full voice so everyone could hear. He said, everybody puts out the good wine first, but when their guests become drunk, and it does say that, the the inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. He meant it as a compliment. He wasn't announcing that everyone present was drunk. He was simply describing a common practice which often took place at festivities. Cheaper wine was brought out after people became less aware of the taste of what they were drinking. John mentions the man's announcements to highlight the authenticity of the miracle and to demonstrate that when Jesus did something, he did it well. The miracle spoke not only of his power, but also of his character. Do you see that? If he's going to turn it into wine, it's going to be good wine. <laughs> you know, it's just the, there's, a, there's a wonderful statement. I've got the reference right there. It says uh, they, they, what, that he did, Jesus did all things well. I love that statement. That's who he is. That's, about, that's character when you say stuff like that. He did all things well. There was now approximately 120 gallons of fine wine standing in six stone water pots. But it seems from the circumstances that the wedding festivities were nearing an end. If so, that much wine certainly would not be needed. In that culture, wine was normally diluted with water before it was drunk. One part wine to three parts water. Yeah, you've got to really work at it. So it is possible this large quantity of fine quality wine would have served as a wedding gift to the new couple. It could have been sold and the finances used to help start their life together. If so, this miraculous multiplication of wine would have had the same purpose as the huge catch of fish. Jesus provided later for his disciples. The fish could be sold or kept in a live well to provide for the families of the disciples while they were traveling with Jesus. This is quite the gift, 120 gallons of fine wine to a brand new couple toward the end of the wedding. Old wine. I admit, the biblical guideline for alcohol is, you can drink it, but don't get drunk. The danger comes when people don't use it as a simple beverage, but as a drug. 
And when it is used as a drug, it has, a ter- it has terrible spiritual consequences. It damages the human personality, leaving that person weak and dependent on a chemical for mental and emotional relief, rather than learning the art of breaking through into the comfort of God's presence. That's the heart of what I want to say today. That really is it. You either, you use one or the other. And the problem is, some, you, when, you use, when you use alcohol as a medication, when you use alcohol for your comfort, your spiritual development stops. It just does, whether you know it or not. We do. And, and, and you just, you just, you, it just, it retards you. It's a very dangerous thing. So it, it's not a matter of things. But the problem is, as we get into this, you've got to find comfort somewhere. All right. You might say they use old wine when God wants his children to use the new wine. When alcohol is used this way, it halts a person's spiritual growth. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to have a meaningful conversation about God with a person who's drunk. Yes, I know, some people talk a lot about God when they're drunk. (laughs) But it's empty rambling. How do I know? They come to church. Yeah, they come up to me and, you know, you just love you, man. And you're going on like this kind of stuff. And I'm I'm listening to this going, I just love God. I love you. And I go, you're drunk, aren't you? It's sad. I want to just hug them. I mean, I'm thinking it's pathetic. It's pathetic. They don't, they don't realize the condition they're in. Yes, oh, I said that. When, when someone is under the influence, it's like an unseen blanket comes over them and stifles the true person. You have to wait until they're sober before you can talk to the real person. But the problem with alcohol goes beyond occasional drunkenness. The desire for it gradually creeps up on most who use it until whether they admit it or not, the fact becomes evident that they are using it to medicate themselves. In other words, to cope with physical or mental pain. When you warn people about this danger, almost everyone agrees that it's a very real problem and that they see it happening to people around them, but then they claim that they themselves have learned to manage it properly. So it would be silly for them to stop drinking altogether, but yes, they do realize there are many people who should. Those who have this attitude seem confident that they could stop using alcohol at any moment, if they chose to. But then, with deep conviction, they defend their own right to drink. After all, Jesus turned water into wine, and they're correct, he did. So what is the right course for a believer? In my opinion, the simplest and healthiest option is not to drink ever. I'm just stop there for a second. That has been my 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 own course. Uh, I have I have never in my life tasted beer. I'm kind of proud of it. Now, it is, I mean, it's, it, you say, well, you don't you have the courage? No, no, I've had the courage to resist. You have no idea how many times it's been pushed at me. And, and I can't watch a football game without watching about 150 gallons poured in front of my face. And, and so, I mean, to not do that is kind of like, no way I'm doing that, you know? And, but I, 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 I have dealt with, in my life, for, since I was a teenager, um, recurring seasons of depression. And I have dealt with anxiety. And I want you to know that mental pain 
is worse in my opinion. And I do know there's horrible extremes of physical pain, and I would, I would qualify that. But mental pain is a, is a horrible kind of pain. It is, it is intolerable. You have to have comfort when you're hurting like that. When you're depressed, you can't just do nothing. And so for me, over my years, because I, 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 I said, no, we're, I'm just not going to. Uh, it's not going to be part of my life. I believe I still have a family. I believe I, I have been a, a reasonably good father. I believe that I, I, my marriage is intact. I believe I still have a ministry. That if I had, with my, with my personality, let that in, I think I'd be through. It would have ruined me. And, and it, it's, a, it's a dangerous Dangerous substance. Um, I'll tell, I guess I will tell this. I, I, I warned Mary wasn't in the last service. So anyway. Um, <laughs> um, many years ago when we went to a wedding, um, we were newly married and um, we went to a wedding and, and uh, I had graduated from college. I was I was pre medicine, so I've got a, a biology major and uh, all. And so I know about alcohol. I know what it does. Um, I know that all the alcohols are poisons. This ethyl happens to be a slow one, and ethyl alcohol, by the way, causes what happens with it is it causes the red cells to clump like grapes, and so they when when they flow into your in your blood system, they clog the small capillaries. So the, the, the capillary, once the clog comes into the capillary, the rest of the capillary is starved of oxygen. And actually, tissue dies every time you do this. Uh, but you've got a lot of tissue, so what's the sweat? You know? and, and, and so you, this stuff clogs it. That's why a pilot, when they get way up into the altitude, gets drunk. They too are, I mean, if they don't have proper oxygen, uh, because their brain now is, is having oxygen deprivation. That's what basically it is. It's a form of oxygen deprivation because of the clumping. Uh, so I, I'm, I knew all this stuff. And uh, we went to this wedding, and, and uh, we were in the basement of the church, a big old, big old church, and uh, they served uh, champagne. And uh, I'm sitting there with, beside Mary, and, and, and I've got this thing, and I said, I thought to myself, I have got to find out what is it that everyone thinks is so wonderful? I mean, we just, I mean, just, it, it, it's the whole world rotates around drinking. And so I said, what is this wonderful thing they call drunkenness? So I thought, I'm going to do it. And I, and I, and I, and I knew what I had, had, had nothing to eat for, I was an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. And I took three glasses of champagne and I stacked them up in front of me and I learned, leaned over to Mary. I still remember she looked really pretty in a yellow dress. And I said, keep an eye on me. I'm going in. (laughs) Something to that effect. And I just did it. Bang, you know, bang, bang. And then I sat there. I couldn't feel anything below my chin. I'm serious. It's like the rest of my body just disappeared. It was gone. And, and And then I felt like I was, I think I feel like, just like I'm straddling a log. I mean, I don't know that I can sit here. And, and I thought, is this what they like? <laughs> now, I happen to be a man who likes to be in control. And, and the, this, this, I couldn't feel, the, I, I couldn't feel anything. I'm, I'm, uh, and I, and I, I didn't feel good. 
Now, I know that, I guess there's genetic stuff in this that some people actually get a good feeling out of it. All I sensed was numb. And I thought, aha, I get it. It's not, doesn't make you feel good. It just deadens the pain. It's medication. It's, it's like an aspirin. It isn't a solution. It's an aspirin for the soul. People are deadening the pain, and that feels better than feeling the pain. But if you choose to exercise your right to drink, number one, be totally honest with yourself. Is it a beverage or a drug for you? And ask others what they see and thank them for their honesty if they tell you something you didn't want to hear. Number two, have the courage to say no thank you in social situations. Be willing to be different and learn to be comfortable with it. This is a big deal. When you go to a party, when you go to a social gathering, when you go to a wedding, uh, when you go to any of these kinds of things, liquor is generally served. Do you have the courage to say no? I was just at one of these uh, memorial service for, for one of my family in California. And, and here comes the waitress and she's got the cocktails or whatever this was. And, and um, it was wine. And, and I simply said, everybody else takes one. I'm standing there and I said, do you have iced tea? She said, sure I do. And she came back and gave me a really good iced tea. I've learned to do that. Have you? Are you comfortable doing that? Uh, so just walk around with an iced tea and not be self-conscious about it. I've, I've had cranberry juice. I've had you name it. I get handed it because people don't like to drink alone. And so I've always got something. But for me, I have chosen I'm not going to have that. The social pressure. The social pressure. You have to come to grips with it. I could tell you all kinds of stories of, of just being really ostracized because I wouldn't participate. Um, it, it, it's a big deal for people. This is a, and you know it is. You know it is. This, is a, that, this, this point is, a, is, is one you have to kind of come to grips with personally. Think twice before teaching your children to be familiar with alcohol. If they watch you drink and it's always present in the house, they won't hesitate to drink when they're of age. And who's to say they'll have the same level of self-discipline you do? Number four, never cause someone to stumble. There are many who are struggling with alcohol. Never, by example, or by offering them some, help them to fall back into its grip. One of the, one of the things that happened here uh, in my years here at Northwest Church that was one of the most painful things that I, I have experienced when I, when, I, I, when I got here, I, I encountered this particular man of, oh, in the first few years. He had been part of the original core of this congregation, been part of the building of this whole thing. And, and he'd had, uh, his, as had his brother, his family was part of the church. And he had been a terrible alcoholic. I mean, one of these just desperately ruined by it alcoholics. And this church had brought him to Christ. Hallelujah. And he'd gotten off and he, was, uh, he had no alcohol. And he'd gone, uh, gone sober. And he came back. He'd been gone for a few years and he came back to Northwest. And someone at the church said to him, Oh, that's silly. That's legalism. You should have, I mean, you can have a drink. Here, have one. 
And yes, indeed, he fell off the wagon. That one did it, put him right back. And to this day, he's a ruined man. I talked to his brother a while back, a few years ago, and I said, how's your brother? And he says, still gone. That's horrible. I am so ashamed. I couldn't tell you how ashamed I am of that. That is just awful. You get this... You would be surprised if you stop drinking, some of your Christian friends and family will not take it well. There's, this, this is deeper than we understand. I don't quite get all of it, but it, it's, it's a real issue. Don't drink until you feel a buzz. By that point, you're drunk. Set a, <laughs> some people say, I can tell when I've had too much. No, by the time you can tell... You've had too much. You can't go that way. You've got to set a limit on this thing. Uh, set a limit and never go beyond it. Don't let your boundaries migrate. Don't binge on special occasions. It's our anniversary, so we're going to get schnockered. No. Drunkenness is wrong always. Always. It's a sin. It's not a right thing. It's not recreation. It's not entertainment. It's a, it's a sin. Junkiness is never right. Listen to Paul. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we often like to say, well, that's the guy in the ditch. No, I'll tell you. Life brings its pain, doesn't it? I mean, if you, if you haven't had it yet, you will. <laughs> and that's not, I'm not trying to be negative. I've just, it just, life is like that. The pink slip comes and you're fired. The, uh, the, the, something to do with your family, relationships, uh, uh, illness. You go to the doctor and he says, I think it's malignant. I mean, there, there are sh- shocks that come into our system by the nature of life. One of them is age. It isn't easy getting old. All things aside, stuff's wearing down, and you know it ain't going to get better. It, it's, it's quite the process, and it's depressing. And you will watch people, and you'll watch older people, as life kind of builds up on them and disappointments accumulate. Start drinking wine about four in the afternoon. You just hold a glass. Oh, you're not drunk. You're just sipping. Till bedtime. It's called tippling. And it is a form of running drunk. You're keeping a buzz. It's not okay. It's drunkenness. It's just polite drunkenness. You're not barfing in a rubber tree plant in somebody's, you know, <laughs> living room. But you are running a buzz. And you're drinking. You, you've a <laughs> I have a way with words when I'm, when I'm off. That's why I write a lot of this out, you know. I can avoid that when I don't do that. All right. Make sure you have special occasions, family gatherings, and parties without alcohol. Look at that. If it wouldn't be a special or fun without alcohol, you've crossed the line. You have a problem. Look, I... We, you know, there's a policy here at Northwest about weddings. Did that many, many years ago. Um, I don't know if they still hand out a, a thing I did. I remember recording it. 
But here's what prompted it. I mean, I, I never did want it, but here's, this really crystallized it for me. Early on, we had a wedding, and it was here at the church, and it was a good wedding, a beautiful wedding, and, and um, Lord was there, and it was, it was you know, a, a real wedding is a worship service, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's people making a solemn vow before God in the presence of witnesses. That's what a wedding is. It's not a, not a party. And anyway, so we'd had this wedding, and then we went off-site to some place for a reception. Well, out came, out came the liquor. And what I watched sitting at the, t- at the table, and then sprinkled all through this thing, were members of the congregation, you know, good, good disciples sitting there, and as, the, as, it very, as that alcohol began to have its effect, the climate in that room changed. It just did. Say what you want. It, it just became more rowdy. There was this sort of edginess. Of, it was a strange feeling in the room. And I looked around, and I looked at our, 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 our members, and they were getting more and more uncomfortable. They were just sort of like, <laughs> you know, like, can I get out of here? And I did. And I would say, God bless you, great wedding, God, you know, and we left. I thought to myself, there's no way we're bringing that foul spirit into this building. I'm going to tell you something. I've been, I've, I've planted churches for years and I've met in everything you can name, including Elks Club. And, and we used to regularly have to cast the demons out of, the, out of a room before we could hold church on a Sunday morning. I, I was normal. I'm not going to bring that foul thing in. And you can't say there isn't a foul spirit to it. There is. Just wake up. It's not clean. Now, I know some of us have family members who they wouldn't come if there wasn't liquor. I mean, I, I, I get all the, the dynamics all over the place here that we have to walk through. But you're a disciple. And how you walk this out and how you maintain your own sobriety and cleanness, how you walk away from addictions to not only alcohol, but meds, prescription medications, and, 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 and certainly marijuana, for heaven's sakes. Marijuana is really coming on, isn't it? I mean, I, they're having all kinds of issues in the, in the hospitals and emergency rooms. My, I, uh, I just saw that Colorado's uh, auto accident rate over uh, drug-related accidents have gone 90% in one year with the, with the new law. Congratulations. So this is coming part of our culture. And as pressure comes on our culture, as the, you, as the things are, the pressure comes on this world and you're watching a wild world, aren't you? Almost everything seems to be not working, doesn't it? That makes us sad. That's pressure. And we have to find relief. And if this is where we go, we will be crushed. Our spiritual life will be stopped. It's a very serious matter. Realizing that you and your family are being assaulted by advertising, with advertising by the liquor industry. They're doing everything in their power to get you to drink more. We live in a very dangerous environment. When you're in pain, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, never use it for relief. Let the pain drive you closer to God. This is what I had to find for me. I have this depression that would come in moments or anxieties. I'd have this struggle in my soul. Where am I going to go to the pain? You have to have comfort. You can't say just bite a bullet, you know, and smile or quote some scripture to a person going, God says, be joyful, you know. 
It's like coming to somebody with a fever and a flu going, you're supposed to be well. Okay. You can't. You have to have help. Don't just talk some platitude at them or threaten hell. Tell them how to get out of it. Help them. Don't scold them. You know what I'm saying? Using alcohol as a drug rather than a beverage is not a new problem. Even in the church. Paul's instruction to Timothy to use a little wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments was necessary because Timothy had stopped mixing wine into his drinking water in order to sanitize it. And as a result, he was suffering from gastrointestinal illnesses. If you've traveled, I sure have, where you look at the water and you think, I do not want to drink that stuff. There's, there's a whole level of scum at the bottom and something looks like it's swimming in it. Now, in ancient times, you have no chlorine. You have no filtering systems. That's what you get. So the way they handled it is they would put a, a mix of about one, one, one part alcohol, wine, that's what they, and the rest water. So the alcohol was there to sanitize the water. It's killing whatever's swimming. So you can drink it. The Ephesian church had so much drunkenness going on that Timothy, as their pastor, was modeling absolute abstinence. He was not drinking anything, trying to get his church to follow him. He was getting sick as a result. Who knows what kind of diseases he's getting through the water. And Paul says, no, no, put the wine back in your water. You've got to stay healthy. You've got to stay healthy. Apparently, he stopped using wine in order to model sober lifestyle because alcoholism was a problem in the Ephesian church. Paul himself felt it necessary to give the Ephesians this counsel. Why don't you read it with me out loud? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Essentially, Paul is telling them, don't medicate yourself with alcohol or any other drugs. Learn to find relief by gathering with other believers and worshiping until you're filled with the Spirit. Do you see that? Paul says, don't use alcohol. Learn to worship yourself peaceful and into the joy of the Lord. Can that be done? Oh, yes, it can. I, 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 think, I, I think the lesson came home to me one time when I was in high school. My mother, you know, my mother used to take us uh, to anything that was crazy. Um, and I had no choice but to go, believe me. If you know my mother, there was no options here. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride in wherever we were. And uh, some of you think, oh, you're so delicate. You don't know, you know some of the crazy things I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been there. I've been there and, uh, many times. And we were at a church, and uh, the pastor uh, had... Uh, if I recall, we'd actually closed the doors and we're taking a second offering. But, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and he's, he had us worshiping. He said, let's all worship the Lord. Come on. And I and stand up. And so I stood up and I, I was in high school and I, I got my hands in my pockets and my za- jacket zipped right to my chin, which means leave me alone. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just standing there. And everybody's, you know, hooping and hollering. And that pastor looked right through the crowd 
and he spotted me, and he said, I said, worship the Lord. And I, I mean, he, he didn't, he, he kept looking. And, 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 and so I'm, hallelujah, yay, God. Go, you, you, you go, God. You know, yeah, hallelujah. 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 And I started doing, I mean, and he kept looking, so I kept going. Here's what really caught me off guard, and it almost bothered me. As time went on, I felt better. Now, that shouldn't happen. I mean, he made me do this. This was not free will. This was not my choice. I didn't feel like worshiping. He made me worship. And I was saying stuff out of my mouth. You know, not that I didn't, stuff I believed, but stuff I didn't feel. And oddly enough, I felt really good when I was done. I learned something. Look, when you speak out of your mouth what you know to be true, even though you don't feel it, that is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you say something you don't believe. Maturity is when you say something you don't feel, but you know to be true. Did you follow what I just said? This, if you get this lesson in you, you, this is the lesson Paul is teaching. This is what he's telling you. With our, with our worship here at Northwest, you'll notice we take a, a, quite a bit of time with it. You'll notice generally you start out with, with, with strong, aggressive songs that are praising the Lord and making you stand and do stuff that you don't feel like doing and you don't want to do any more than I do. We're all down and going, hmm, you know, and, and hallelujah, hey God. But I figure you're just like me. And you are speaking out of your lips strong words of faith and praise. You're declaring the greatness of God. We're doing that on purpose. You need to know I go over that list every week. You don't like the songs, blame me. And, we, and I want this strong, aggressive praise. Why do we enter his courts with praise? Yeah, you stir yourself up. You don't go by how you feel. Some of you, you know, if you may say, well, I don't feel like worshiping. That's exactly when you need to. And, and if you learn maturity, you learn to say, I don't feel like it, so what? I'm going to, my spirit says, we're going to praise God. And what I can promise you is if you will stir yourself and begin to speak the truth, your emotions, your feelings will actually come along behind. And you'll find relief and hope. And so you'll notice as worship progresses, you'll sense often that despair, that weariness, the anger, the thing melt away, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why we press through like that. It's not a bunch of songs before we, before we get to the sermon. In my opinion, the worship is every bit as important as the word. They are two essential pieces to, to the gathering of God's people. Actually, I believe there's a third, and that's allowing the spirit to speak. We give small place to that through, through in, the, in the intermediate. We had a word today, uh, scripture, we, we open a bit. So the, the worship, you must learn to worship. You can't say, I don't like it. You have to. I, I, is there another avenue? Paul says... Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation. What is dissipation? A, a wasting of your life, a spilling water out into the streets, where, where that which was precious is now lost and, you, uh, and, 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 uh, and law, uh, not used anymore. Don't dissipate your life, Paul says, with alcohol. He says, here's what you do. Gather with others and speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spir what spiritual songs? Singing in tongues. He says, start using the, the things of the Spirit. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, says Jude. Build yourself up 
And that's, that's how you cope with it. I have had to learn that over the years. That has become what keeps me going. If I can't use this to medicate, if I can't find comfort in these things, I have to press in and worship. Everyone faces temptation. And everyone has weaknesses. Life brings pressure, trouble, and heartbreak to every one of us. No one escapes forever. And when it comes, we must find some sort of relief. Pain, whether it's physical or mental, must be comforted. So the question is not, will we seek comfort in our pain? The question, but where will we find it? The Bible says every true believer wants to please God. In the new covenant, God writes his law on the tablets of our hearts. The desire to do the right thing is there. But if that's the case, why do some believers fall into addiction, such as alcoholism? Does their addiction prove they're not sincere? No, it doesn't. It means they have not yet discovered how to give that pain to God. Living free from all forms of addictive drugs has more to do with learning how to properly deal with the pressures of life than it does with a person's sincerity. Though I admit, sometimes people haven't grown desperate enough to search for God's answer. We have to hit bottom, don't we, sometimes before we really get serious. I think we all know sincere Christians who still battle alcoholism. They aren't false when they say they want freedom, but they haven't found it. They may be trapped in the cycle of trying to stop, succeeding for a while, and then falling again. Is there an answer? There is. But real freedom requires the willingness to build new disciplines into our daily lives. Not often does someone say a prayer and the desire simply disappears. I know there are such people. I've had people say, Pastor, uh, I was smoking for 38 years and guy, you know, prayed I received Jesus Christ and that desire was gone in an instant and I've been free ever since. Hallelujah, you're one in a million. You're one in a million and it does happen and that is not, but that is not something that can be expected for everyone. Many of us have to walk these things in a different way. The key to real change, to true freedom, is this. The desire must be fulfilled by something better. The pain must be comforted by something that heals, not destroys. And the reason some people don't find God's answer is because, they, because his way requires much more effort. It's easier when bad news arrives, when depression sets in, when anger grips our heart, to drink a fluid until we're numb. Then it is to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. In other words, it takes much less effort on the front end to drink old wine than to worship myself strong in the spirit. But here's the truth we have to see. The old wine just drags us deeper into despair and pulls us farther away from God, while the new wine is God's presence. That's what new wine is. And in his presence, says the Bible, is fullness of joy and peace and wisdom and hope. You'll notice when you worship into the presence, you aren't just numb. It isn't like the pain is just gone. God begins to talk to you. I'm gonna, I'll talk about it in a minute. But building these, you have to learn to build the disciplines into your daily life. 
For me, it's got to become daily. I can't just do it crisis by crisis. I need to build it in so I don't have those crises. The other day, this week, it was this Monday, I was feeling uh, anxiety. I was, I, and it was, it was coming on pretty heavy. I have learned I can actually fast my way out of a, out of a depression. I don't know why it works. I don't get, it just does. I don't go lo- day after day. I'll, I'll fast a meal to two meals, maybe to tell dinner. Um, I sit with the Lord, um, just talk to him. I was home, just began to talk to him. You know, I, I was reading in the scriptures in, during this time, and I saw David just pouring his heart out. And I said, all right, I'm going to lament. And not whine and blame, but just, Lord, here's how I'm feeling. And then he begins to talk to me. You know God's there when he talks to you, not when you're talking to him. You know, I get tired of hearing me talk to him. I, but it's when, when, when it changes and I'm suddenly hearing and he, we're having a dialogue, that's when it's sweet to me. That's when I'm coming back alive again. I'm getting healed. It's all getting ready, fixed now, when that begins to happen to me. And listen, to, in our, in our uh, character class, the LMI class, um, one of the things, that my whole thesis there, I, I wrote that. My whole thesis is, I don't think there's people with good character and bad character. I think there's people who know how to resist temptation and people who don't. And learning to resist temptation is a skill. It's an art. It's you must learn it. Does it come intuitively? Like some people just are stoic and don't have a problem. Other people are a little sack of slush. No. Some people know how to deal with it when it comes and some people don't. You know, in, in ancient Israel, you would be taught by a rabbi. You would be, and the rabbi, you would, you would follow the rabbi day by day through their whole life. It's not just what, learning some doctrine, but you would watch how the rabbi prayed. You would watch how the, how the rabbi treated his family. You'd watch how he dealt with his day. What did he do first thing in the mornings? Did he have a prayer life? Did he read the word or, or, or recite it? What did he do? And then you'd be tagging along doing the same thing. And the rabbi would model you through how to live a victorious life. Do you follow this? We don't have that. We don't have that. We teach doctrine. We teach, we lecture. And we have no modeling going on. So we're really vulnerable. It's, it, I, that's why with classes like OSL, OSL takes you and walks you through the process so you can have a morning time where you pray, read the word, learn to, learn to journal and interact. It's an essential skill. It's an essential skill. If you're going to have victory, if you're going to find the Lord, new wine, day by day. Each of us must learn for ourselves how to build these moments into our lives, into our days and weeks. We need disciplines such as Bible reading, journaling, prayer, fasting, and Sabbath days. By that, I, I, I mean taking those days, whatever they are, but, but taking whole sections, whole days, and being with the Lord. And of course, worshiping alone and with others. David and Ziklag, let's close with this, but it's a powerful story. 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David has uh, been on a raid, been, been in a battle with his men. He's left his family and... Uh, He's in a town that's right there by the Philistines. It's out there on that plain in Israel along the, the, the Mediterranean coast. It's not very far inland. Ziklag. And when he comes back to his, his city where they've been living, 
The city's been raided by the Amalekites. Now, when you read Amalekites, think Bedouins. And what they've done, probably kept an eye on things, and then they've swept in when the men were all gone, taken all the wives, the children, the livestock, everything they could find, stolen the thing empty, and then gone back out into the desert. That's the way, that's the way it works. And uh, here's what happens. I'll start at uh, chapter 30, verse 1. When it happened to David, then it happened to David and his men that came to Ziklag on the third day, and the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev, that's that southern region, and on Ziklag, and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. And David and his men came to the city. Behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. I remember how we said, life will give you pain. This man is in a desperate moment. He has just come back. Everything's destroyed. His wife, is, he has two wives. His wives are gone. Uh, all of this. And, and it says, and all the men. And now David, two wives have been taken captive. Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. And Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Do you see that? Say that. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? What did David do? Here it is. Everything's devastated. Every pressure, wouldn't it be, go off into a, into a cave and get drunk. Go off and medicate yourself and, 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 and just get miserable. What did he do? David knew how to worship. He wrote, what, I don't know how many of the Psalms. David was a worshiper. So David went off by himself somewhere and began to worship. And he worshiped, not just worshiped, he worshiped until the power of God came. He worshiped until this, this terrible depression left him. He worshiped until he felt strong again. And, and then he went to the priests and sought the mind of the Lord and said, what should we do? There are many examples in the Bible of men and women turning to God rather than alcohol for comfort. But one of the most powerful examples is David at Ziklag. After discovering that their, their camp had been raided and their families abducted, David's men turned against him and spoke of killing him. David was suddenly plunged into one of the, most, one of the horrible moments when he desperately needed comfort. But David had learned to worship. He did exactly what Paul commanded us to do. Samuel records, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. That means he went somewhere and worshiped until God's spirit came over him. And then he led his men into one of the greatest rescue missions in the Old Testament. He knew how to cope with pain. Do we? The person who has learned this, the person who now finds their comfort, when, 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 the, when the depression comes, when the bad news arrives, when they just look in the mirror and go, man, you're getting old. 
they don't, they don't, they, 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 no longer is it, is, it a, is it an issue to go and somehow drink something or take something or find, a, find your, your comfort there. They, 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 they have built into their lives times of worship, times of, of fasting and praying and being with the Lord, of drawing in. They, they know how to build their spirit up. That person, if they want to, can have a glass of wine. It's not a temptation to them. That's why Jesus could go to these things. He wasn't tempted to get drunk. He was full of the Holy Spirit. This was a beverage. But if I haven't learned that, it's not a beverage. It's a dangerous temptation. One step leading to the next. It, 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 isn't, it isn't just the alcohol. That isn't the issue. It's us. You and I are human. We're, life is full of issues. And if I haven't learned to find... And it comes with discipline. That's what's the obstacle. You have to learn to say, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to build them into my life. I'm going to push through when I don't feel like it. I'm going to press in and worship even when I don't feel like it till I do feel like it. Well, once I've learned that lesson, that this can not only can be done, but boy, it's life to me. Then you'll notice when David arrived there, now he's getting guidance. He's getting victory. He's not being just, he's not off in a, in a cave, you know, muttering. He, he's restored everything. And that's what God will do, isn't it? When we press in in the spirit, he doesn't just make us feel better. He talks to us. He guides us. He says, Here, handle it this way. Do this. Handle this. And all of a sudden, the thing, that which is meant for evil, turns to good. All things begin to work together for Good. God comes of grace in it. This is so important. It's foundational for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you come to each of us? We live in a society that is just inundated and assaulted with, 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 with medicating in various ways. Would you make us true disciples? We would follow our rabbi who would go off by himself and pray. We would follow you, Jesus. Teach us how to walk strong. How when the blow comes, where to go. How to run to you, not away from you. Oh, Lord, wherever there is, this thing has found its root. Where the depression is there and where, the, where, the, where medication has gripped us and gotten its, its roots into us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I curse that spirit. We command it out and out and release You are free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You can indeed do this. You can indeed rise up as a man, as a woman of God. And you can run and not grow weary. And you can walk and not faint. That's your promise and it's as real for you as anybody else. And we just pray, O Lord, that message of hope would burn strong now in every heart. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.